What an awesome God, amen? We just sang about him. Let's celebrate him for a minute because he is greater and worthy of our praise no matter what we're facing, what we're going through. God is worthy of our praise and our worship, amen? And uh, we are so glad you're here with us if uh, you're online or in person. We're in a series, as you just saw, called We Are One. And we're digging into the book of Ephesians this summer. And in particular today, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at relationship issues. Come on, y'all. You know you got some. And it's going to be really good to see what God does with this. Um, you know, you may be wondering why am I in a sling if you missed last week. Well, uh, about 10 days ago, I took a fall on my bike, and it could have been worse, uh, and I'll find out more tomorrow on what my next steps are, uh, but I've been in this sling, and so last Monday, uh, it was hilarious to me. Uh, Amazon shows up, and uh, as they show up to my home, my uh, little girl gets the package, brings it in. Dad, did you order something? Did you order something? No, I didn't. You can open it. And so she opens up the package, and inside of the package were training wheels. Now, you got to know how I roll. I love a good joke, okay? And I've got a sense of humor, and I respect to my core those who know how to send a good prank, okay? So I, I won't name the people, but they get a lot of respect from me because this was good, right? The day after I announced this, I get this. And it had a little note that it said, hey, if prayer doesn't work, maybe these will help. Priceless, priceless. So good to be able to laugh and to have joy, isn't it? And uh, I'll tell you, when we look at relationships, there's meant to be uh, those that bring life and love and joy, and they're also there in the hard times. Relationships are there to sharpen us and shape us. And we as a church have been talking about our mission, which is to love God and love all people in our pathway. To really be a place known by our love, built and knit together in community. And one of the things that, that with that comes is just this reality that that's what God does. When God begins moving in our heart, his love begins to flow through us. Uh, there's an author and a pastor, Francis Chan, and he says it this way. If you've experienced the life-changing love of Jesus, you will be overflowing with the love for God and others. It's that simple. That literally, when we've been touched by the love of Jesus, he so transforms us that we can't help but be overflowing with a love for other people. But if we're honest, some of us realize that we're more of a reservoir right now than a river. Do you know what the difference is between a reservoir and a river? A reservoir collects water, holds water, and often grows stagnant. A river is flowing freely. And God's love sometimes can be stopped up as almost like a reservoir in our life because of some of our relational issues. Right now, a situation, a person, maybe a place is coming to mind for most of us. And if you're online with us, this doesn't exclude you either. I want you to find a piece of paper. All of you sitting here, in front of you or behind you on the chair backs, there's an index card for you. Would you pull it out? Welcome to participation in church. We tell you you're not a spectator, right? 
You're a participant. We're in this together. Here's what I'd like you to do at the beginning of the message right now is to go ahead on that index card and write down what is a relational issue that you're facing that, that could in fact be holding back. Maybe it's between you and God. Maybe it's between you and another situation. You don't have to name all the details. You don't even have to name the person. God knows and you know. If you do want to put it, listen, this is between you and the Lord, not even the person next to you. So this is only for you. Nobody's going to see this, okay? Take a minute, write down, and we're going to do something with those today at the end of the message. In Ephesians chapter 4, as I mentioned, we're picking up, and the Apostle Paul has laid out for the church in Ephesus for a few chapters in this great letter what it means for them to be saved, set apart, and to really live on mission with the Lord. He's described in chapter 4 in particular that there's one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, what it means to say we are one. He's in addition to that laid out for them some things that will help them as they begin to really follow God. And as we pick up in verse 17, it's almost like Paul's saying, okay, I'm going to remove the training wheels now. I'm going to remove the training wheels because I want them to walk in maturity and the fullness of my love. I want them to be who they're called to be in the community and the place that I've placed them. And he doesn't hold back. Verse 17 through 19, Ephesians 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Don't you wish he would just say it plain? (laughs) I mean, Paul is being so forthright, isn't he? I mean, he is not sugarcoating it. He goes on, verse 19, they have been callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. If you're taking notes here, recognize what Paul is getting at is to recognize your surroundings and influences. He's telling them, listen, look around you and realize what you're in the middle of. They're in a city. He's writing from a, a Roman prison to them in Ephesus. He's been there a number of times. He's helped them grow in their faith. He helped in, in many ways this, this fledgling church to get moving. And it's now situated and positioned in the capital city in many ways of Asia. It wasn't the actual capital, but because it was a port city, it was prominent. This city was big and diverse. It was filled with economic prosperity and pluralism. It was filled with the worship of multiple gods. In fact, the princess Diana or Artemis, actually her temple was in the city of Ephesus. People would come and and would buy trinkets to worship in this place. They were literally, as he's writing to this church, you talk about a place that, that was callous a place that was hard, a place that that had lost its moral compass and had in many ways a moral insensitivity. Paul is helping them to look around them at what they're surrounded by. He's wanting them to recognize that, listen, you're in a place that is very wicked and has lost its way. He, He mentions Gentiles as those outside of the faith in that moment, but we know that Jews and Gentiles had been invited in What he's really getting at is, listen, in this city, 
There's a lot of people not following Jesus. And there's going to be pressure on you to have a hard heart. In fact, your heart could be influenced, could grow callous, could lose some of its sensitivity to what God has. So he's really warning them and causing them to look around them at what's happening. And I wonder if if verse 19 applies to us. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. He was saying they were given up to sensuality and greedy for impurity. This city, Ephesus, would have made Vegas look like nothing. Vegas, as many of you know, is known as the sin city. Ephesus would have made it look, I I can't even describe to you how wicked Ephesus really was. Where are we headed? Where are things going if we allow our surroundings to influence us? And can you see the parallels to today's world? Church, if you're following Jesus, look around you at your surroundings and realize there are influences on us that may or may not be godly. Some of those come in the form of the entertainment industry. Some of those come in the form of what we ingest in relationships and friendships. Some of those come in the form of what we bring in with news. And and just to be clear, no news station, whether you like CNN or Fox, did you see what I did there? (laughs) Ha ha, both ends of the spectrum. Whatever your news station is or whatever your social media outlet is, I believe we need to take heed what Paul is saying that, listen, we are surrounded by a lot of influences that may in fact be callous and hardened and greedy for things of this world that have nothing to do with God. And as Paul says this to us, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. John Wesley said this in the 18th century. What one generation tolerates the next generation will embrace. We need to recognize that we are all products of the people surrounding us and the influences on us. Paul is trying to wake them up to that, and I'm trying to help us to see that for many of us, you've probably heard it said that the people closest to you, the five people closest to you, and where they're headed is likely where you're headed. And so when we take stock of those influences and we see where they may be leading us, I want to ask you this question, who has access to you and who is influencing you? Is it the kind of influences that you need to to be aware of and take heed of today to say, maybe those aren't leading me in the right direction? Maybe those are causing some relationship issues between me and others because I'm feeding on the wrong inputs. Can I get an amen, church? So who has access to you and who is influencing you? For some of us, as I mentioned, social media, I just want to help us to understand the effect that it can have on us. Barna Research Company recently put out a survey, and what they found in regards to Generation Z, these would be those like 22 and under, I believe, the effects of social media, look at what it's doing to this younger generation, how it's influencing them. Something that's supposed to create connection, many of them are saying, men and women, that it causes them to be critical of themselves. 
that in fact they feel more insecure as a result of those influences and they feel more isolated. There is an effect, not just on Gen Z, because some of you that are older and on social media are saying, yeah, it causes me to be critical of myself and others. It causes me to feel insecure and it causes me to feel isolated, not as connected as what it promised. You see, when we look at these things, I believe that God wants to call us back to what are the right influences? What are the right things to surround ourselves with? This is why we as a church believe that it's with God and with each other that we're going to be at our best, that none of us were meant to live in isolation, that we need godly inputs. Proverbs 13, 20, if you're taking notes, says it this way, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I'm not telling you to call those influences in your life fools. It's probably not the best way. That might create another relationship issue. But I'm telling you, if you recognize that maybe they're not wise and maybe they have too much influence, or maybe that social media or news outlet does, that you begin to back up from it enough to begin to get God's word and wise people in their place. It will make a difference. Now, as Paul goes on here, he moves from what's surrounding you and the influences on you and the wickedness that's there to now pointing us within, pointing us within in the power of a God who takes our lives and transforms us from the inside out. This is a message he's delivering to them that I believe is relevant for us today, that listen, God is a God who when Jesus shows up and the Holy Spirit is given to us, he changes us from the inside out. And that transforming power is meant to change our surroundings. It's meant to change the very things we just talked about. We become the influencers versus the one being influenced. I love Jesus, don't you? Like Jesus just, if you read in the Gospels, like how he lived and led, he would show up anywhere where people would say, how in the world is he hanging out with them? And the thing about Jesus was when he showed up at those tables and in those homes and in those situations, he never was the one to be influenced by them. He always influenced he was the change agent. And remember, what did Jesus say to us? These, none of this is in my notes, so tech team, don't worry. What did Jesus say to us in John 14? He said that we would do greater works than even he did because he puts his spirit in us and he says, now that I'm changing you, you're gonna go out and we're gonna multiply and change the world around us. We're gonna help with these relationship issues that all of us face. So, so it begins here with a little bit of hope, verse 20. But, he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Say renewed. renewed. Say it like you mean it. Renewed. renewed. 
Our God is a God that renews our minds and our, transforms our lives. Verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is getting at this idea that we're to receive the transform, transformational life that Jesus offers that we're to receive this transformational life that Jesus provides. He, He says here, you have learned, you have been taught, you have heard of Christ. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, You you didn't just get saved to go to heaven one day. You got saved to follow Jesus, and you're now a disciple. And a disciple is a student of their rabbi, of their teacher. A disciple is actually somebody who's becoming like their teacher. When we follow Jesus, he transforms us to be more like him. Paul is saying here that your old life, the old way you did things, the old behaviors and patterns of life and living... They're going to be transformed and changed as you follow Jesus. As you put off that old, you're putting on this new life that is with Christ. He says, just as you've been taught and heard, and this is why it's so important that we're in relationships with each other, whether it's in a life group or, you know, in serving or here on the weekend, that that we're in places where we can hear about Jesus and grow with Jesus. This life of discipleship, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor and theologian, he he lived, this would have been uh, late in, in the 1930s is where he did a lot of his work. He wrote a book called Life Together. And in that book, he says this, at the moment of their call, Jesus showed up their sin and made them aware of it. So when Jesus makes us aware of our sin, it's not to shame us, it's to illuminate that he's got something better for us, amen? So he makes us aware of it. He says complete truthfulness is only possible where sin has been uncovered and forgiven by Jesus. The truthfulness which Jesus demands from his followers is the self-abination which does not hide sin, Nothing is then hidden. Everything is brought forth to the light of the day. Oh, you guys, it's so uncomfortable, isn't it? He's saying, listen, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, that everything that was once hidden, everything that was once wicked, everything that was once dark, that old life is meant to be brought forward into the light that you and I could experience God's healing touch, his transforming power, that we could also speak the truth to one another, not to tear each other down, but to build each other up to be more like Christ. That's part of the transforming power of Jesus is how God works in our lives and around us through others. Our discipleship pathway, again, once again, I'm gonna keep putting this in front of you here at Pathway. This is our discipleship pathway to connect with God and with others in our weekend services. To be present in a way that we're actually connecting. I have a mentor and friend of mine that said research has, he told me years ago that research has shown that a church becomes your church when you know six names. When you actually know the names of six people, it becomes 
your church. So let me challenge you today to get to know six names. Maybe through our meet and greet, maybe through just connecting after service. And those of you that know six can probably attest to, it's the people you know that keep you. It's the connections, amen? Secondly, we want to grow with God and with others in discipleship relationships. This means that we believe as we follow Jesus and grow with Jesus, we're going to help others do that as well. Being present in Sunday school classes and life groups and workshops and, and mentoring relationships, these are all places and spaces where we help each other grow. We're not here to beat each other down, to tear each other down, but to build each other up to be more like Jesus. And third is to serve. Do you know that God has given you gifts? And that part of those, using those gifts is actually going to lead to your fulfillment, to more of your joy. By seeing that God has not just shaped and prepared a purpose for you, but given you through his Holy Spirit gifts. And that when you begin to serve, whether it's here at Pathway or it's out in the community, it is going to make a difference. We were all created to do these three things, to connect, to grow, and to serve. One of the things that, as we think about that in this life of discipleship, Paul is getting at, listen, yeah, your old life, you, you may not have wanted to connect with other people. And your old life, you may not have wanted to grow with other people. And your old life, you didn't want to serve, you wanted people to serve you, right? Oh, okay. Y'all are so holy. Like, yes, it's transformational because our God shows up and he makes us new and he gives us a new life. Listen to Romans chapter six in the way Paul said it. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. That is a picture of what the gospel and baptism symbolizes. And if you haven't been baptized yet as a believer, as a confessing believer, whether you're a youth or an adult, we want to encourage you, sign up for baptism. You can, we have a link here we'll put in front of you. You can sign up. We have a baptism weekend, Saturday at the ocean if the weather's good, Sunday here. Last I knew, we have about 10, 10 to 12 people already signed up. Maybe you need to take that step to say it's time. I need to be baptized. I need to publicly declare what Jesus has done and let others know what I stand for. So, so we have two pieces that we've covered, right? We have Paul saying, listen, there's surroundings and influences that you need to be aware of how they're affecting you. And now you need to understand the transformational power of Jesus and what he can do in you. And the last part of this message gets really personal. Because Paul begins to say, listen, what Jesus has done for you, you need to now do for others. That in fact, our relationship issues sometimes are related to the fact that we forgot what Jesus did for us. And we begin to live how we want to live versus how Jesus lives through us. Let's look at it together. Verse 
25. He says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now let me just highlight this because we have to understand our membership isn't just in a church. Pathway actually does not have membership because historically, and I believe accurately, we understand that while membership in a local church or participation might be a better word is important, we're all members of a bigger body of Christ. And we're all members of each other. And so this idea that we've bought into in the modern culture that it's just you and Jesus, sorry dude or dudette, it's you, Jesus, and a new family. Brothers and sisters that we're now members of in the body of Christ. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We need to relate to others the way Jesus relates to us. And Paul is doing some interesting things here. In verse 25, when he says, put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, he's actually quoting from Zechariah the prophet in the Old Testament. He's quoting a bit of chapter 8, verse 16. Let me read it to you because it actually would have triggered for them the, the memory that Zechariah was speaking of restoration. That in fact, if we would do these things, we would experience restoration in our relationships. Zechariah 8, verse 16 and 17 says this. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. And if you read on in Zechariah 8, you see that the entire point of the chapter is a God who restores us in relationships. This is what truth does and love does as it restores and grows us. So let me get really practical with you because picking up in verse 26, these last few verses there were five things that stood out, five practices for healthy relationships. Y'all ready to get healthy? No, for real. You ready to get healthy? Because we've got some relationship issues. <laughs> and these things will help us. The first one is to reject falsehood and speak truthfully. And you'll notice in here that all five of these, I begin with the word reject, because Paul's saying, put away, put away 
That was your old life. Reject this. Don't get caught up in it again. Some of us feel rejected, but it's our behaviors that Paul is saying, I need you to reject these things so you can be healthy. Reject falsehood and speak truthfully. That leads to restoration, the truth in love, as we learned in Ephesians 4, verse 15 and 16 last week. Secondly, reject anger, sinful actions, and take rage room back from the enemy. Let me unpack this one for a minute, y'all, because we got some angry people up in this church and up in the church of Jesus Christ. Because anger is a natural emotion. Anger is something we all deal with, whether we like it or not. In fact, biblically, there is a righteous anger that our God has towards sin and suffering and disease. And what Paul is saying here, did you pick it up in verse 26? He says, be angry. Huh. He's not saying don't be angry. He's saying be angry. So when it happens, when life causes you to be angry, and what are some of the ways that anger happens, right? You you got a few on your index card, probably. I, I mean, the reality is anger happens when something is out of our control or there's an unmet expectation. Anger happens when we're grieving, when we're dealing with loss, when maybe we're lamenting something that we wish was different. There is a righteous anger. And what Paul is getting at here is, listen, be angry, but don't sin. Don't sin in your anger. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Another translation with opportunity talks about don't give a foothold. Go back to that second note, please, because I did this on purpose. Rejects anger, sinful actions. So you're going to get angry. The question is, what are you going to do with it? And do you know that anger manifests for many of us in two different ways? Some of us, it's outward. You just lose your cool. Others of you, it's inward. And inward anger is self-destructive and often leads to depression. Often leads to beating ourselves up. And anger, he's saying, we shouldn't be sinning in it. Because when we do, we're giving rage room, a foothold, a place for the devil to do some of his best work in our relationships. Think of it this way, rage room or a foothold. You ever left trash out in the wrong place overnight? What happens to that mess by morning? It's filled with maggots and rodents, can be torn apart all over your driveway or your front yard, not that it's ever happened to me. The same thing happens with our anger and when we sin, we give a foothold, we have messes that the enemy feeds on, just like a rodent. And those places cause us to not be able to maybe experience the love of God and the love of others in the same way. God wants us to deal with our anger and listen to this because again, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. He's actually quoting Psalm chapter 4. Let me read to you the two verses he's quoting. In Psalm chapter 4, verse 4, be angry and do not sin. Look familiar? 
Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. So when it says do not let go the, the sun go down on your anger, does that mean you're going to resolve every conflict before you go to bed? No. It means you're going to be committed in your heart to not sin in your anger. That you, in fact, have a responsibility to deal with your emotions and your anger. The sun will go down. The question is, what will you do with that anger? And then are you committed, if it's in a relationship, to resolve it and to see reconciliation and restoration in the near future? You see, they didn't have electricity back then. They couldn't keep the lights on. Uh, one married couple I heard about, you know, the husband said, yeah, we took that verse serious. In our marriage, we haven't gone to bed or sleep in three weeks. <laughs> That's not what Paul is saying. What he's saying is, when you go to bed, ponder in your heart and work through your anger. Again, Psalm 4, verse 4 and 5, ponder in your own hearts, on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifice and put your trust in the Lord. One of the best ways to counter our anger when something's out of our control is to place our trust back in the Lord. This is a big one, isn't it? This is probably the space here where I feel like I've needed the most work and I'm gonna just be really honest with you. Back in 2009, God showed me very clearly through some people and, and that spoke into my life through spoken word and written word that, that in fact I had an issue with processing anger and processing grief and loss. I was processing grief and loss like an infant, yet I was a pastor. It's a little scary, isn't it? And so God took me on a transformational journey to understand and to be in a healthier place with how do I grieve loss? How do I lament? How do I work through my anger and place my trust in the Lord? James 1.19 was a verse he gave me. It's not in the notes. But some of you need it as much as I do. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Wouldn't that solve a lot of relationship issues? In 2009, I memorized that verse, and I bet you for the next three to four years, I needed that verse every day in my relationships. Today, I probably still need it every week. There's something God wants to do to help us understand how to process anger in a healthy way. Can I get an amen? amen. <clears throat> to acknowledge we have it may be the starting point. Some of you, I'm like, you're looking at me, and you're like, oh, this is for him, not me. I'm like, I don't know, guys. We all deal with anger. Third thing he says is reject stealing and work to be a blessing. He actually says to, to reject stealing, to quit being a thief, to work so that we have something to give. That work is actually a blessing. And when we work, we have resources to be a blessing. And you may say, well, I've never stolen anything major. But what are the little ways you're cutting corners that are robbing your employee or your employer? What are the little ways that you're stealing moments that could be given back to be a blessing? The fourth one, reject corrupt, corrupt talk and focus on building others up. Do you know that it takes 
five to seven positive statements to replace one negative in a relationship. Psychology talks about this. Paul was nailing it 2,000 years ago. Psychology Today confirms that, that actually our relationships will be healthier if we speak life and we are encouragers and we build each, other's up, build each other up. What is the corrupt talk? It's the gossip. It's the backbiting. It's the meddling. It's the things that are negative that you need to keep between you and the Lord so you can build up those around you. Can you imagine if encouragement and building each other up became contagious around Pathway? I'd want to be in a place like that, wouldn't you? Okay. And then uh, the last one. Reject the escalation of bitterness and live to give what Christ gives you. This is so important. I want to finish here because it, it says in verse 31, let all bitterness, notice this escalation. The intensity is if you don't deal with your bitterness, it's going to grow into something more. Look at the progression. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. The bitterness grows to wrath, which is outburst of anger. The wrath grows to anger, which is this settled feeling that you can't get rid of. Clamor, another translation uses the word brawling. Now you're, you're taking the bitterness and the anger and you're affecting others with clamor. And slander, that one's obvious, right? Your anger begins to speak ill of others and tear them down. And then malice, it actually means in the Greek, ill will and wickedness, literally to have the intent for murder in your heart for the other person. If we allow bitterness to escalate, Paul is saying, listen, it's going to harm you, it's going to harm others, it's going to harm your relationships. But then he gives us the antidote. Did you see it? In verse 32, he gives us the solution, the secret sauce, the antidote. Let me read it to you. He says, be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He's saying, listen, those that have upset you, those that maybe you've had broken relationships with, start by being kind. And then as you're kind, it'll soften hearts. And as it softens hearts, you will be able to forgive. This is powerful stuff. That kindness leads to tender-heartedness, which leads to forgiveness. And the forgiveness that we're talking about is a forgiveness, he says, that Christ gave us. And this is where we finish today. Because some of us, if you think of a bell tower that has a rope, and what would happen is you have a bell and you have a rope, and you're pulling on that rope, and it's ringing the bell, letting other people know that it's there. Some of you have been ringing the bell of unforgiveness for too long. You've been ringing the bell of your anger or your clamor or your other things that you're holding on to. I believe God's saying, listen, look back to Jesus. Look at what Jesus did for you. Look at his mercy and his kindness, his grace and his love. Look at his forgiveness for you and let go of the rope. Let go of the situation. Lay it down. Begin to be kind-hearted and tender-hearted and forgive. 
asked you at the beginning to pull out a card. Can you take a minute and look at it? If you're at home, hopefully you found a piece of paper. On this paper, or maybe for you it's in your head, or maybe you need to grab one right now and write it down. My guess is there's a situation, a person. It might even be God himself that you've had a relationship issue with. And right now in this moment, what we're going to do is create space to really respond to God. We're actually going to invite, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And as they come up and join me, we're going to really have them sing a song over us. This song is called The Father's House, and it talks about coming in to God's presence to let go and to lay down the things that we've been holding on to. And what we want to invite you to do during this song, you can sit, you can stand and sing, but we want to invite you to take those index cards and if the Lord leads, to lay them down across the platform at the foot of the cross. To just symbolically come forward and to lay it down, to surrender it and to let it go, to have a moment in prayer between you and the Lord, but also our prayer team on either wing will be available at the kneeling benches if you, if you would like prayer. This is a holy moment and a time. And so the three questions to close, next steps. How is God speaking to you today? What are you going to do about it? And how can we help? Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you, God, for this moment. Father, there are things that many of us may have came in carrying, relationship issues, some between you and us, some between us and others. And Father, you know exactly where each person is at right now. And we want freedom. We want healing. We want healthy relationships with you and with others. And so Father, in this moment, as we hear this song, about coming into your presence and laying it down. We thank you that Jesus, you died for us. You rose again to have the victory over all of the issues we face. So as we look to you, Jesus, I pray that we could lay these things down at the foot of the cross and find freedom. Father, we thank you for this moment. We pray that your spirit and presence would be here and would work as we lay these items down and as we come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond to him as he leads. The platform and altars are open. Sometimes on this journey, I get lost in my mistakes What looks to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength And my story isn't over, my story's just begun Failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does Failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does Lay your burdens down 
his house Check your shame at the door Cause it ain't welcome anymore Arrival's not the end game, the journey's where you are. You never wanted perfect, you just wanted my heart. And the story isn't over, if the story isn't good. Failure's never final when the father's in the room. Failure's never final when the father's in the room. find home love's on the moon when the father's in the room prison doors swing wide the dead come to life love's on the moon when the father's in the room miracles take place the cynical find faith love's breaking through the father's in the room, Jericho was breaking, strongholds now are shaking, love's breaking through, and the father's in the room. Check your shame at the door, cause it ain't welcome anymore. Ooh, you're in the Father's house. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> We're in this together. And as we look up here and see that we are in the Father's house, and He is able to receive these. Amen. We don't need to hide in shame. We can come to him in freedom. So I'm going to pray over these, pray over us. And then maybe you're still holding on. Maybe you're still trying to ring that bell. I want to encourage you when we dismiss today that we'll stay here and would love for you to still come forward. If you'd like prayer, we'd love to be a part of that. If you're online, our hosts are there for you to pray. Jesus is able 
And I believe that relationship issues brought to Jesus can be transformed. So Father, we love you and we thank you that in your presence there is victory, that we can lay down our burdens and let it go. I thank you for every card across the platform right now, the freedom that it symbolizes as we let go and as we lay down relationship issues. Father, I pray that what you did for us would flow freely through us, that your love, your mercy, your kindness, your goodness, your grace would now be poured out in even greater ways on us and would flow through us to others. God, we pray that we would be known by our love for you and for one another. And we thank you for your hand on today, your spirit's work that is bringing healing and wholeness. I pray for those that have laid things down, that as they walk forward with you, that they would be able to extend that kindness and forgiveness, not in their strength, but through yours. We thank you, Jesus, for the victory And we thank you that the things that the enemy has brought to steal, kill, and destroy relationships have been silenced and are under our feet in Jesus' name. We thank you. Father, as we get ready to go, I pray that we would love you and love all people in our pathway. That we would connect, grow, and serve. That we would be the church you have called us to be. We thank you. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen. If you'd like to come forward or lay it down or have prayer, we'll be here. Remember, the meet and greet is in the cafe. Come check out and meet our new staff. Welcome Center is available. If you're a guest, please come there. We have a gift for you. Go now and be the church. Have a great week.